0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're reviewing a dynasty rookie draft that's already in progress on Rotoviz Radio.
2: What's up, RotoViz?
1: Welcome into the Road Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Curtis Patrick, joined by Dave Caban. We're getting right into a dynasty rookie draft that's already in progress. Dave has almost finished. 46 of the 48 picks have been made. It's one of those crazy leagues where I'm in, I don't know, a handful of these, maybe three or four. We we do our rookie drafts before the NFL draft. It's kind of a, a cool way to slide in between like Debbie where you're actually owning the players when they're in college and the traditional dynasty uh, spot where you, all, you know, always have the benefit of draft capital and landing position uh, when you make those selections. So it's kind of cool. You have to, you know, it's usually, you know, these leagues, it's a bunch of industry people that, you know, they have their models and they want to draft their guys and, you know, try to predict what's going to happen in the NFL draft. Really cool uh, bunch. It's a mixture of, this league, a mixture of some industry folks uh, and some, you know, friend friends of industry. Uh, who there's like a charitable element to this league, so that makes it fun. But just to give you an idea, like Scott Barrett is in this league. Graham Barfield is in this league. TJ Calkins, who used to be uh, here at RotoViz, is in this league. Scott Connor of Dynasty League Football. Uh, so a lot of familiar names that have you know been on RotoViz Radio before uh, as well as, as some others. So it'll be fun to break this down together. Dave, you know, kind of line it up against our road fantasy football rookie draft guide, some of the regression analysis that you've done. We can see, you know, where these picks good, uh, at this spot. And I I'm excited to see your reaction to, you know, a real draft that's already occurring.
2: Yeah. Well, I've taken a sneak peek and there's a couple of exciting things in there. Um, it is always fun, I think, to do drafts too that happen before you actually know where these players are, if not just for the fact that it gives you like an additional interest in the draft, because now you got to make sure that those guys that you selected end up in spots that work for them.
1: Yeah, it's it's really exhilarating. And, it you know, it's kind of these leagues are fun because, you know, the whole weekend of the NFL draft is like, all right, you know, you're, you're following what's happening with the prospects, where do they land. And, you know, we're writing, like, Volume 3 of the Rookie Guide at that point. But then I'm also kind of going back and, oh, like, this pick ended up, this fourth rounder, he hey, he got drafted in the top 100 all of a sudden. And, you know, now I, I've i already got some equity on this roster. Or, you know, I think there's one year, oh, I'm trying to remember this, this guy's name. It was, like, the first year I played Dynasty, there was this <laughs> small school guy that I took at, like, 14th. In the rookie draft, and he went undrafted, and so you, so you, you, you <laughs> have some of that. You have some of that stuff too, yeah. Uh, and you learn along the way, and you know how to, these leagues. You're kind of balancing, you know, what, what are you, where's your conviction, uh, and where you're willing to differ between kind of the NFL draft pundits of the of the world, and then at what point do you just start chasing, you know, presumed draft capital? So th- these are always really fun. I think to, Dave you know, for brevity's sake in this episode, we'll run down like the first two rounds, but I will yep. post the full board uh, on my Twitter and um, we can, um, I don't know if we're able to post a link in the podcast yep. uh, notes to the board, but maybe we'll do that. If anybody wants to pull up, you know, the screen and follow along uh, with the draft as, as we're running it down in, in audible form, that'd be kind of cool too. <laughs> All right, so setting it up. This is a Dynasty Super Flex draft with Titan Premium. The format's very, it's not exactly the same as RotoViz TriFlex, but it's very similar. Uh, we're just starting an additional player uh, versus the RotoViz format. So this is one of those leagues that's on, you know, kind of a private invite league on on myfantasyleague.com. Uh, for my picks in this draft, I had the 103. I made a trade before the draft. Uh, As well to pick up some additional picks because these drafts, I really, it drives me nuts to sit on the sidelines. So I traded Debo Samuel and Michael Thomas shortly before the draft for Traylon Burks, the 202 and the 302. So I ended up with three picks in the top 27, the 103, the 202, the 302 and the 303. Uh, So maybe we'll just go down through that because we got to talk about, you know, my picks It is our show. I mean, of course, Uh, right? Yeah. No no surprises, Dave, at the 101, uh, Dan Kennedy selects Bajon Robinson. Any, uh, oh, and he actually left comments. He's like the one guy that left comments in that field. He (laughs) said 100% 100 Cowboys, Titans, or Chargers. Um, So that's some wishful thinking uh, from Dan on the landing spot. Any reaction to Robinson going 101?
2: No, I'm just glad to see that it happened. That is the right pick. That is the way to go. I think Dan Kennedy did a nice job there.
1: Next up is where we get our first. This is where it gets crazy, man. You know, when people start drafting the real teams, it's definitely different than mock draft exercises. KC Dank Chiefs select Anthony Richardson at the 102. And that's one spot in front of my 103. So that's going to give me access to a number of the different players and, and tier two from our rid of his rookie guide. Why do you think somebody might opt for, for Richardson? And, you know, do you fault him for this pick or do you think, you know, chasing the upsides warranted?
2: Yeah, well I think definitely this pick is all about upside and trying to solidify uh, a player that has a lot of potential. The only thing that I don't like about this year is to me, Richardson's upside Some of why it feels like there is so much upside is because in comparison to other players, he's kind of being discounted. Now, you could argue that in a rookie draft, especially pre NFL draft taking place, the difference between taking him at like two or eight, that really shouldn't factor into the discussion of upside. I do think it's fair to say that this looks like one of the most athletic prospects you're going to see at quarterback in a very long time. If he's able to do Cam Newton-like things, this is a pick that's going to be an absolute slam dunk, especially when you consider that it is a super flex league. Uh, This might be a way that you can differentiate your team. So I get it. That said, in my opinion, a player like Stroud has a lot of upside... As well. And I think that in totality, the upside that you could get out of Stroud probably is a little bit higher than what you could get for Richardson. I know some people might argue with me on that, Uh, but as a result of that, like I get the pick, but this is probably one I I can't see myself actually doing. But you are right when people actually get into these drafts, that is when more of like that gut feel or some of that feeling like you can will things to happen comes into play more so than that, you know, cold calculated analysis that's been going on for, you know, many months now.
1: Yeah, I love it just because it was fun and and players that I wanted access to slid to me at, at three. But, you know, a quick, quick peering at, you know, Casey Denk chiefs roster, you know, it's a roster that's pretty far from competing. And so I think I definitely understand wanting that, you know, if if he really thinks that this manager really thinks that Richardson's the the highest upside player here, I get swinging for the fences. You know, you you and I are high on Stroud. Um, Others are saying that, you know, Richardson is the closest thing we've seen to Cam Newton uh, since Cam Newton came into the league. And if you get a situation like that, you know, and he develops as a passer, he's also running around like Justin Fields out there. I think the dynasty value that would be tied to Richardson would give this manager a a chip that he could trade to totally rebuild the team, or you know perhaps it would you know make up for being weaker in his you know final two flex spots. So definitely interesting. I love and respect the conviction. That being said, I was happy to pull the trigger on Stroud uh, at <laughs> one hundred three. This was a luxury pick for me. I already have Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray on this squad. But, you know, Kyler is going to miss part of the year. And, you know, I'm starting to wonder a little bit about Kyler. Um, You know, it's kind of the same thing we went through with Dak Prescott, you know, over the last two years. You know, he had risen all the way up the boards and he was a consensus, you know, top half of the first round and super flex startups type player. And then, you know, the confidence starts to erode after, you know, he's not producing at an elite level for a little bit. And with Kyler, we have these like motivation questions, we have, you know, turnover coach we have turnover in the wide receiver room, so you know Stroud probably the most valuable player from a dynasty, uh, you know, roster value perspective I could draft here, but it also gives me a hedge on Kyler, and if Stroud plays well right away, it does give me the opportunity to to move Kyler uh, for something more than I probably could have selected here at the one hundred and three. So I was always also kind of thinking about that rather than worrying about filling you know, a different roster spot where the player wouldn't be on the bench.
2: Yeah, I think I can understand that logic. And with the way that we have seen Murray trending, uh, there's a real possibility, especially with where we think that Stroud could end up, that even if Murray does get back to form and is playing, you know, some solid football for fantasy purposes, you still might end up being more inclined to play Stroud. So I definitely... Do not hate this pick, uh, you know. And if it's a super flex league, I'm I'm going to be looking to draft Stroud everywhere. So I, I I like it.
1: Yeah, and just to to level set um, the players that were in tier two. So you know, in in the his Fantasy Football Rookie Draft Guide in Volume Two, Robinson was our only player in tier one. Uh, you know, Stroud is a tier two player in there with Jackson Smith, Najigba, Jameer Gibbs, Bryce Young, and Jordan Addison. Yep. So. You know, obviously I'm sticking to uh, our guns here by taking a player from that tier. I did think for a second about Gibbs and I thought for a second about JSN, but you know, within the context of this team and how difficult it is to trade for quarterbacks, you know, I I opted for Stroud and you know there's a little bit of buckeye pride, you know, I think in that pick there too for me, Dave.
2: Of course. I think um, also the other yeah. layer to add in here too of another reason I actually like this for you is you are in a lot of leagues, and this is, I think, one of the leagues where you are able to dedicate the least time to actively making moves and managing the roster. So yeah. having that quarterback spot locked in uh, definitely has some utility for you.
1: Yeah, this this one doesn't get quite as much of my attention as you know our, our FFPC uh, higher-stakes leagues or some of the leagues I've been in for a long time. But uh, it'll be exciting to see if this can you know, be the next step, uh, for this roster at one Oh four, another Buckeye goes Stroud's teammate, Jackson Smith, Najigba, also a tier two player followed by another tier two player, Bryce young to TJ Hawkins and Scott Barrett. Uh, any feedback on either one of those picks?
2: Uh, these are the picks that I would expect to see here that I would probably hope to be made. As you mentioned, they fall in line with what we are thinking at Rotoviz. So, um, you know, some good confirmation for us here. This is how things played out.
1: At 106 is where things open up just a little bit. Yep. And we see a player from our tier three uh, selected before Jordan Addison. So Addison is the highest Rotoviz rated player on the board here. We see Quentin Johnson go at 106 to Graham Barfield of uh, com, And I know he's really big on Quentin Johnson for some of his, you know, uh, yak, uh, yard for out run, um, elusiveness, um, type metrics. And there, those are some of the things where, you know, Quentin Johnson really does stand out. Um, last week when we were chatting, Dave, uh, we, we ran him through, uh, the latest version of your regression model at that time, you know, he wasn't performing quite as well as some of the other elite guys. Um, what, you know, what, what do you think here? Is it egregious to take QJ over Addison, or can you forgive it on, on some of those other metrics?
2: So I have done a fair amount uh, more work with wide receivers, looking at some regression trees, looking at different ways to project um, draft position for wide receivers. Through the course of this, I have looked at a lot of things that tend to separate players Uh, from living up to the potential that we believe that they have and not living up to that potential. Uh, You know, he's a very interesting player. And obviously, there are reasons to believe that he has a path to success in the NFL. He's got some of those stats, uh, you know, as you mentioned when we were talking prior, that kind of fall into that DK Metcalf type of mold. Uh, In this class, he's got the size compared to some of the other players. Still, though, There's a lot of outcomes here where he does not land and he fails to come anywhere near close to what you get in most of the outcomes for JSN and Jordan Addison. So I can can understand taking a swing here for Johnston, but in this class, to me, even if you think that the upside for Johnston is higher than Addison the number of outcomes where Addison becomes a substantial contributor to your player are just so much overwhelmingly better that it's hard for me to like this pick here. Um, We know that Addison is my guy this year, but even removed from that, um, I think you can make a solid case also for going after Jameer Gibbs. Now I don't know the context of the team, um, but I am not in love with this pick.
1: Yeah, we can, I can give you the context of the team. Um, it looks like you know, wide receiver Graham already had Hollywood Brown, Garrett Wilson, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Lockett. Uh, so a pretty good stable of wide receivers there. Had Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Jeffrey Wilson at running back. So definitely weaker at running back than, than wide receiver. But again, I think it speaks to how even though, you know, Johnston is failing a little bit in some of our analysis, there are other, Other analysts and other sites, you know, finding him performing, you know, well in the models that they prefer. You know, case in point, Scott Barrett, his partner over there uh, at Fantasy Points, notes that Quentin Johnston, among 511 qualifying power five wide receivers over the past 10 draft classes, rates best out of all of them in career missed tackles force per reception and 18th best in career yards after the catch per reception. So, you know, he, he is a creator. You know, we'll have to see how well that translates. Um, but but that's what's so cool about these drafts is you, you know, people's tiers just a little bit different. They start to open up, and you know, then you get to, you know, see if you can go after guys that you know fit your strategy. So Graham takes Quentin Johnson at one six, then Scott Connor and his partners take Jordan Addison at one seven, and TJ Calkins and Scott Barrett take Jameer Gibbs at 108. Once we got to 107 and 108, I was trying to make some trades into those spots, <laughs> but they were not having it. Uh, they were happy to. So so our tier two is cleared out at that point, plus Johnston out of tier three off the board, and all is right with the world at this point in the draft, Dave.
2: Yeah, so the, the interesting thing here is in the Superflex rankings that, that we had, as you mentioned, Gibbs was in tier two. He was actually, though, the first player selected after... Robinson. so it's interesting to see him slip all the way to eight. Also, if you looked at the ADP of the drafts that we did, you know, Gibbs um was generally, if you look across the drafts, if I recall, I don't think often ever landing beyond three. Uh, yeah, so he that's, didn't. A, that's-
1: his, his earliest yeah and our in our drafts with our guys you know, he was always taken either second or third. And so, I mean, and that's even, you know, it is, it is definitely, you know, rotoviz.com group think yeah. um, to a point, but half of the drafters that were in the mock draft had nothing to do with putting the guide together, had not seen any of the analysis at all. And um, we're still drafting him there. So, and the other thing I guess is, you know, about a month has passed. Yeah. Um, since the guide came out and this draft started occurring. So there is, I mean, some, I guess some new information or maybe some new thoughts about actual NFL draft capital. But I think that is a a good observation where, you know, if if you bought our rookie guide and you're like, man, you guys are high on Gibbs. Well, you're right. But what that also means is you shouldn't necessarily feel like you have to be hell bent on trading up to the one, two, uh, to get them. You know, I, I would actually be very comfortable, um, I I think honestly, one five, one six, you're going to commonly be able to get him because I think Bijan's going to go 101. JSN, I think typically is going to go before Gibbs, maybe interchangeably, but I think usually two and sometimes three of those top quarterbacks are also going to go before Gibbs. Um, You know, we find that we tend to undervalue the non elite level quarterbacks and super flex a little bit uh, versus others in the industry. And that, that shows up. So I, I do want to be a beacon of hope there. So if you're, you know, if you're definitely wanting Gibbs and you're finding yourself slotted in at one four to like one seven, there's still definitely a chance you could get him.
2: And in a triflex configuration, there is more of a incentive for teams to go after wide receiver then there would be in sure. other leagues. So, if a lot of our listeners play in those leagues too, it makes it even more of a possibility.
1: Yeah, when you're starting three wide receivers, you know, that changes people's boards. Yep. So, that's where we're at at 108. Our tier one and tier two are cleared out. Quentin Johnson gone from tier three. So, now we're sitting here at the 109. The Shogun of Harlem selects Zay Flowers. And then at the 110, TJ and Scott are back up on the board. They take Michael Mayer at tight end. Any thoughts on those picks, Dave?
2: Okay, this is where it starts to get interesting. Uh, If you looked at our Superflex rankings, you see Mayer at 14. Which pick was this in here? This is at, uh, at 10, which I know it's only like four spots ahead, but this feels very surprising to see him go here. And then if we add in the fact that the team after them went with Dalton Kincaid and we have two tight ends off of the board. Uh, interestingly enough, we had uh, those two ends at 14 and 15 in the ranking. So they're getting propelled up a little bit here. I would be more to be inch- fair, in,
1: in our mock drafts. Yep. Mayor did go at 10.0.
2: Oh, okay.
1: So, so it's a situation where I think those of us in the ownership team, slightly lower on mayor versus the rest of the class yep um and also maybe early on tighter between Kincaid and mayor and I think yep. that's why we didn't feel the nece- you know the necessity to push mayor up but even as we brought in other people from the site uh into our mock drafts mayor had a higher adp okay so I mean
2: yeah yeah it is pretty interesting um I mean I don't think I would go after it uh but clearly as we mentioned before this team Loves the tight ends because they doubled down and went with another tight end later on in the draft.
1: Yeah, so we get through Flowers. We get through Mayer. You know, Flowers has some pretty cool uh, sims from the Roto-Viz, uh prospect, box score, scout. We've talked about that over the past couple of weeks. We also talked a little bit about him, I think, in your regression yep. analysis. So you can go back and listen to those episodes from last week or play around with the tools if you want to see who some of him's, his sims are. I like that pick there at 109. Um, and I and I'm not going to poke you know too many holes really in the the Michael Mayer pick either. When you think about draft capital, I think he's a shoe in for round one. You know he may last more into the 20s than was thought. You know early on in the process, but honestly, that means he's probably just going to land with like a better quarterback. So um, you know, I, yeah, I don't have a really problem there. Where where it gets interesting is at 111. We see Dalton Kincaid go off the board, the pick right after Michael Mayer. So. That's kind of, you know, I think I even had a note here, Dave, in the Rookie Guide uh, about this dynamic between the two tight ends. Yeah, it says, we don't see much of a gap between Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid. We like Kincaid's profile better for fantasy purposes, but acknowledge the NFL may prefer the more well-rounded profile and pedigree of Mayer. So, you know, it seems like the community is definitely on board with that line of thinking uh, from, from the guide last month.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that's just like projecting tight ends to the NFL, I think, is a very tricky thing to do uh, yeah. in and of itself. And, you know, one of the things that I normally would look at are the athletic measurables? Um correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think we have any for Kincaid.
1: We don't have any measurables for Kincaid. Is that yeah, like I don't think because Kincaid question.
2: didn't run at the uh combine and I don't believe he had a pro day either. I probably shouldn't have brought something up that's gonna take us off of uh off of course here. But um
1: Yeah, I mean I wasn't I wasn't ready for that, but I'm gonna find it while you while you continue <laughs> okay. to talk about it.
2: So that's one thing that would make this kind of hard to um right. Yeah, I'm looking at this here. Didn't participate in the Utes Pro Day. Um, and if I uh look at the Combine profile here, and we're actually gonna look this up here live. I, I'm sorry everybody that's listening for wasting time, but I do want to confirm the fact that what I'm thinking is right here.
1: Um, he didn't participate in the workout drills at the combine. Uh, yep. He did just get measured. So we've got wingspan, height, weight, et cetera, but you know, we didn't get any of the athletic metrics. That's correct.
2: Right. So long-winded way of saying, I think that as far as tight ends go now, this is a profile that's really <laughs> tough to make sense of trying to use the production that you get out of a player that played tight end in college and move that forward is very difficult I will say, though, you do have to like the fact that he put up back-to-back eight uh, receiving touchdown seasons, and then also, I do really like the fact that he had 70 receptions um, in his 2022 junior season. Also, actually, had a receiving dominator on his career, Curtis, of .26, um, and hit .26 and then .28 in back-to-back seasons, so... This is a solid profile. I just would have liked to have those athletic measurables to kind of add into this when we start thinking about selecting players here before wide receivers like Marvin Mims and Jalen Hyatt. Well,
1: that's a pretty good segue into some of the uh, next picks that are going to be made uh, to to level set. At all of these picks are from Rotoviz Tier Three, uh, so no big veering. I mean, I think we're taking a little bit of issue with some of the order and calling out some of the the potential issues with prospects, but they are all players that are in tier three that we would expect to come off the board in this area. So the next pick is uh, Zach Charbonnet. Um, Again, I think this pick is another one that this one to the parabolic curve. So his first pick of this draft, you know, this, this is a, a back that Sean, I think is, is, you know, growing keener on uh, by the day and you know I've heard some recent comps to, to players like DeMarco Murray et cetera, where you know we can handle a big load and he's going to be able to you know develop into a good enough receiver to be a true three down back so you know, that's pretty interesting I can't take any issue with him with the last pick of the first round any th- uh, thoughts on the running back there before we start round two
2: I think as far as uh, picks at running back go here, you know, you're kind of at a point where it's hard for me to uh, blame anybody if they're going to go with running back there for taking one over another. I know personally for me, I still would be pretty interested in Hyatt or Mims. uh, So I would probably be taking them over Charbonnet there, but I can definitely understand the pick. So I don't think to me it is... That surprising of a pick, as you mentioned, uh, Sean is starting to gear up on him. And actually in the rankings, we had him at 11 overall in Superflex. So, you know, that's uh, that's kind of like right on point with us.
1: I'm looking at your metrics percentiles uh, from volume two. And he was one of the only backs that graded out above the 87th percentile across the board. You know, we looked at rushing yards per carry, rushing. Uh, uh, adjusted market share of rushing attempts Total yards per game, rushing uh, touchdowns Per game, interceptions per game And he was just very rock solid across the board And I really know Holes is basically You know, hey, it was like 85 to 90% of the quality of Bijan Robinson's profile You know, it's just everything a couple steps below it yep. uh, But he's actually a more complete profile Than the other backs uh, Ahead of him um, uh, at, that, at that point So, yeah, that's pretty interesting We get into round two here Will Levis off the board you know, of the quarterbacks that are thought to go early in the NFL draft. I think probably the widest range of outcomes for where this guy could go. I still think there's, you know, people that believe he could potentially be the first player off the board. And yep. then, you know, others are saying, well, if anybody's going to slide, it's going to be him. Um, I, I took Jalen Hyatt at 202 and then Marvin Mems goes 203. So do you want to zoom in on any of these guys?
2: I do. I want to zoom in on both Hyatt and Mims. Um, I don't know how recently we talked about Hyatt, but, um, you know, as this process as has evolved. One of the things I've been able to address was what was going on for Hyatt in his first two seasons, because if you just look at his 2022 season as a junior, it's absurd 18.91 yards per reception, put up 15 total touchdowns, had a dominator of 0.37 and was just 21.2. So that year checks a lot of the boxes that you're looking for, but naturally you have the question what was going on in the first two seasons. Well, I've heard our good friend Travis May who breaks down like only Travis can what was going on at Tennessee, the issues that he was facing and why the numbers were so poor. And uh, he was recently on an episode of Rotoviz Overtime with Sean and Collins. So if you want the context there, go and look it up. So with those questions answered, and you look at some of those career max numbers contributed via his junior season, he becomes very, very interesting. Um, you know, the type of player that surely has my attention. And Mims also has a ridiculous profile. There's a couple of numbers that I've been keying in on. And as we talked about recently, when you're looking at wide receivers, there's different ways that they can get to being impressive. And you definitely see that for Mims, a 19.5 yards per reception on his career. Very impressive. You like the fact that he put up nine receiving touchdowns in his first season in college was just 18.8. Then he also answers a lot of the questions that you would have when you're looking for these players that you're going to be selecting at this point in the draft. So long and the short of it here is if I am in rookie drafts this year and we're getting into pick 14, 15 range and Jalen Hyatt and Marvin Mims are there, I'm going to be scooping them up every time. And I'm going to be very excited
1: yeah well i uh appreciate the pat on the back for the the pick there as i mentioned this is one of the picks that i traded for pre-draft knowing that there would be some quality available i actually didn't envision being able to get hyatt i actually thought that you know either it would either be mems or uh zach charbonnet that i would take here um and so you know to get hyatt i was really pumped um, Looking at Jalen Hyatt's road of his box score scouts uh Sims, when you don't adjust for draft capital, like just his 10 closest Sims were all round one picks. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Like not even not even entering in his draft capital. His profile is very clearly a round one uh wide receiver profile. Tim closest players, Garrett Wilson, Jerry Judy, Davon Austin, Brandon Cooks, Chris Olave, Corey Coleman, Ted Ginn, Jahan Dotson, Nelson Aguilar, and Cd Lamb. So about seven of those really, really encouraging, and the average draft slot of those ten wide receivers was fourteen point one, and none of them lasted past pick twenty in the NFL draft. So you know that that gives me a lot of draft capital security on a pick like this versus Mims, who is is you know not thought to be a round one level prospect, even though we do like his profile. You know, I I think that the over. The overwhelming thought is that he's going to be like a mid round two pick at best.
2: Yeah. Hi, just, <coughs> excuse me, just misses one, um, one key piece of the puzzle that I have observed to get a player to being selected in round one, uh, in some of the things I've been looking at, but of course, you know, those aren't hard and fast rules. So there's always the possibility that he could, but looks to me like a player that we should see going sometime fairly soon after round one expires.
1: Next three players off the board, Dave. It's really getting opened up here. Kendra Miller at 204, Sam Laporta at 205, and Josh Downs at 206.
2: Yeah, this is where we start to get into that territory, Curtis, where it's hard to have a tremendous amount of conviction as to how well spent these picks have been made are. Uh, If you look at where we have players after you get through the guys that we've talked about, we had Downs at 16, followed by Spears at 17, a chain at 18, Kendra Miller at 19. Uh, As I'm looking at how these results fell out here, um, one thing that does stand out to me is Sam Laporta getting thrown into the mix here. Because if I am looking at where we have things, Sam LaPorta, my friend, does not come until tier five at 32. It took a long time for me to find him. Uh, Obviously, this is a league where there is somewhat of an emphasis on tight ends, but I don't really know what to do with this, what to make of this. Do you have any context here that I might not be taking into account?
1: Well, I mean, there's definitely some draft pundits that think Sam LaPorta um, it could be one of those, you know, early round two. Picks. Oh, he went
2: to, right, he's out of Iowa too, and very athletic. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, good, good,
1: good tight end pedigree, you know, corn fed tight end, uh, there in Iowa. But, you know, I don't think it was, I'm not really critical of being high on Laporta, I just don't think it was necessary to draft him here. Like, I mean, right. I, I think there's a decent chance that you get him around later. Um, I would have to look. Let me scroll through and see if that would even have been an option. I mean, you probably worth.
2: could trade back even a couple of picks, right?
1: Yeah, his next this manager's next pick was at 304. So I guess if this was very clearly his tight end three, and he sees Mayer and Kincaid go off the board in the first round, maybe he's just thinking, geez, <laughs> you know, do I really? Kind of live with myself. If I waited another, it would have been an 11 pick wait for him uh, to see if he came around um, to 304. So, you know, it's, it's hard, hard to criticize anyone for having the conviction. It is way early, you know, around and a half early almost versus where uh, we had him. Like you said, Kendry Miller is just a slight reach by where we had him uh in our tiers and Josh Downs, you know, belongs in this area. So the players that, they were passed on from a road of uh, rankings perspective. Ty J Spears um, becomes the value on the board at this point in the process as a tier three player available still after two players outside that tier have been selected.
2: Yeah. So just to expound upon him a little bit more, um, I can't help but wonder if this person just fell in love with the athletic measurables too. Um, in addition, this is a player with a 91st, percentile 40 yard dash, um, from an, an adjusted speed perspective or from an adjusted size perspective, 88th percentile speed score among tight ends, uh, 82nd percentile on the shuttle, 90th percentile on the cone, 89th percentile on the broad 69th percentile in the vert, just a very, very strong showing. Um, as I mentioned, you know, that is a key thing for tight ends, I will say, though, that if you look at his actual production in comparison to the two ends that we talked about before, there is a pretty stark contrast.
1: Moving on, we're in the back half of round two here, bringing it home here for the episode, Dave. At 2.07, Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee goes. Uh, At 2.08, we see Dwayne McBride running back out of UAB. Then we see Ty J Spears at 2.09.
2: Yeah, I actually um, kind of like the the pick here of Hendon Hooker. Um, You know, you could obviously talk about some of the other players, but as far as the quarterbacks in this class go, I think that um, I would actually have Hooker coming in at four. Um, So this is a spot that feels pretty appropriate to me. Um, If I am in a super flex league, And I am looking to go ahead and select a quarterback. Now, if you looked at our rankings, our super flex rankings here, I'm trying to find exactly where he went. You can stop me if you happen to know. Um, Oh, wow. We had Hendon. Wow. We had him pretty far down at 41. Now, I think that's something that happens when you're going through a rankings process. I don't see that actually shaking out in leagues. Um,
1: Yeah, his ADP in our mock draft, Uh, so really what was holding that down, you know, there were just, uh, there was one person on the team that just really didn't care for hooker at all. Yep. Um, to the point where, you know, he wasn't in that, that rankers top 50. (laughs) So so that definitely held him down in the process. When, when you look at where he actually went in our super flex mock ADP, uh, in the guide, uh, he had an ADP of 28.0.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I actually like the profile Um, as far as quarterbacks that you're taking coming in as prospects that aren't those Uber type of special guys with those great profiles like young or Stroud. I mean, I think that he's got a pretty good body of work when you look at what he did at Tennessee, Uh, put up 31, then 27 touchdowns. His passing adjusted yards uh, per attempt were above almost at 11, both seasons, uh, strong completion percentage. We've talked about some of the things that I look for. And also in the guide, I kind of break down where he fell out among other collegiate passers. And, you know, I think that there's more to it with hooker than people might want to realize. I mean, he was 99th percentile in adjusted yards per attempt, 91st percentile in touchdowns per game. 99th in touchdown interception ratio, and also 92nd percentile in completion percentage. His worst result came at yards per game where he was still in the 84th percentile. When you look at things through this context, it really is Stroud, Hooker, and Young, and then the rest of the players are all significantly separated. So if I'm looking for a quarterback in this draft and I need one, uh, and Stroud and Young are gone, Hooker's the guy I'm looking for.
1: Here's my blurb on Hooker from the guide. Hendon Hooker has a risky profile due to his age and later breakout, but it's hard to find fault in the passing metrics. Impressively, he challenges Bryce Young for the silver medal in the class. If we could only combine his metrics profile with Anthony Richardson's age and athleticism, we'd have a truly elite Franken prospect. Based on this view, Hooker is likely going undervalued in early rookie drafts and dynasty startups. Drafters will understandably wait for the NFL to assign Value, but big opportunities, big equity opportunities exist right now, um, and so yeah, I mean, what I think what we're seeing is some others that kind of share that view. You know, this 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 manager actually didn't draft again until pick twenty nine,
2: mm-hmm. um, and
1: so it's another one of those things where, like, you know, the, you know there's other there's other quarterbacks that gone. Even Hooker is by far, even if, even if you don't rate him at QB four in the class, you know, for example. There's still a huge tier break after him, and so I think if you're drafting positional tiers rather than your overall tiers, you know the the pick's definitely defensible there. And you know since the time that the guides come out, too, Hooker has kind of transitioned from being a day two type uh, prospect to now there's you know a lot of chatter that you know maybe he would be looked at in the later portions of the first round for a team that you know wouldn't need him until 2024, like the Vikings, for example, or uh, the Saints.
2: Well, one thing that has come out of this exercise and uh, we always end up being able to fill much more time than we would expect. I mean, we only got down here uh, to what are we through here? Like halfway through the... This- we have
1: three picks left in the second round, uh, for the, for the episode, but yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, there's so much to react to.
2: I mean, it just is getting me very, very excited from when we get to sit down and start, uh, start working through the, uh, volume three, you know, final rankings and what have you.
1: So with McBride and Spears, you know, those are two pretty exciting guys. I mean, Mc McBride at two Oh eight, um, as a runner, you know, one of the more impressive runners in the class, not much receiving work to speak of, but man, I mean, he really added a lot of, um, you know, yards over expectation That's really the calling card here. And so, you know, if he gets day two, you know, day two draft capital for McBride would be extremely impressive. And he would be one of the uh, bigger climbers late in the process with Ty J Spears, a little bit more of a, a well-rounded guy, uh, a receiving profile. Several uh, NFL draft pundits and film guys have likened him to Austin Eckler. uh, I think also leaning into kind of the small school um, element there. So that's a good value on those two guys. Rounding out the second round, another tight end to TJ and Scott. Luke Musgrave goes at 210. And then we see um, Rishi Rice at 211 and Tank Bigsby, a guy who fell a little bit from volume one to volume two in our guide. We still like him but he fell down. Uh, He ends up at 212, 24th overall.
2: So a couple of of thoughts here. Um, As far as just being excited about being able to draft a player in this year's rookie drafts go. Mick bride is one of those players that I'm just going to be super excited. If things work out where he's available in a range that it makes sense for me to take him. Um, As you mentioned, tremendous rushing, Um, has performed well uh, if you look at some of the advanced metrics at SIS, Sports Info Solutions Tracks, that uh, we've been pouring over. So I would be very excited about going for him. Then Rice is really interesting. And Sean Siegel, Curtis, has become so enamored with him that when I have been sharing some of the research I have been doing, the first question or the first thing Sean is looking at lately has been where does Rice fall out? So don't be shocked if, when uh, you know, the next volume of the rookie guide comes out, we see him climbing up the ranks a little bit. You're on mute.
1: That's only one vote, so <laughs> you know, might have to put him at one hundred one to get him way up there. But yeah, that, that is what's that's that's what's so cool. Um, you know, just the more time you have to work with the class, you know, the the better you can feel about how things are settling out. And then with Bixby, you know. For, for me, you know, he's not going to be drafted in this area like Dalvin Cook was, but, you know, it just kind of reminds me of that, that profile a couple years ago where, you know, everyone knew he would kind of go high in the NFL draft. He basically flunked the NFL combine. And then, you know, I just was very convicted on you know his profile except for the athletic metrics. Like, despite that athleticism, he still amassed the production that he amassed. And, you know, there's something, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, the wide receiver position. It's like Jarvis Landry, all, you know, all time disappointing NFL combine profile. But yet he was so productive in college. Like, how did he manage to do that? Well, he must just be very skilled. Um, and so Tink Bigsby, I still think is a player that, you know, now I just don't have to worry. Am I drafting him? It's just you know, now he's a bargain. So I, I'll still be very excited to get Bigsby, especially if he's available in this range. Um, behind him just rounding out where the last two selections that I had in the top 27 were at three Oh one, Cedric Tillman goes, um, you know, older receiver teammate of Jalen Hyatt and, you know, has the NFL pedigree uh, in his bloodline, obviously uh, one of the bigger wide receivers in the class. I think he's going to be drafted more highly than, um, you know, people who chase breakout age would prefer um, but you know he is a little bit different than some of the other players that are available in the draft, and I'm sure some NFL teams will value that as a perimeter player. I was able to get Devin a chain and Roshon Johnson at 302 and 303, which made me feel really good about not having been able to trade up for Jameer Gibbs when he sank to the end of the first round um, to get two swings with with these two guys in the third. I feel like you know. Hey, I only need one of them to pan out and uh, everything will be all right. And for those of you keeping score, that trade that I made before the draft that I was talking about, where I sent Debo, Samuel, and Michael Thomas for Traylon Burks, the 202 and the 302, that trade ends up being Traylon Burks, Jalen Hyatt, and Devin Achene.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that works out pretty nicely in my opinion. All right, so that is good stuff there. Um, I'm expecting that, you know, post draft, we'll see some movement in where those players went, but it pretty interesting to see how things actually played out in a real live rookie draft occurring before the NFL draft. Curtis and I will be back next week. I think we've already got some good topics picked out. Uh, Curtis has been making some moves of all, as always, we will talk some dynasty, uh, you know, team level considerations, uh, maybe some trades. Uh, we also have some more things on wide receivers that we might get into. Uh, we are looking forward to it. Any closing thoughts for us, Curtis? I know we only got in one episode this week. The people want to hear your voice just a little bit longer. Give us, (laughs) it's been a while since I put you on the spot. Give us a closing thought here so I can transition smoothly into the push of the outro button.
1: Well, uh, the, my personal uh, mantra for the next couple of weeks is just about consistency. I'm going to be very busy. Uh, it's a bi- very busy time of the year with all three kiddos having, you know, travel sports and, you know, gymnastics meets and soccer tournaments. And you know, I'm coaching seven days a week. You know, I've, I've got to have everything on point from, you know, my, my diet to my mentals to making sure I'm getting enough time with my wife, everything. And then still stay dialed into fantasy. So for me, it's all about consistency. You know, maybe this is a busy time of year for you, or maybe you just feel like, you know, you've lost a little bit of drive or direction. It would really encourage you to take a moment, reflect on what are your personal priorities and how are you going to get them done? Um, And, you know, most of us don't have enough time in the day to do all the things that we want to do. So we have to be intentional or we're not going to get to everything. And so, you know, because none of us are perfect and we do have to sleep even though we wouldn't want to admit it. So uh, I'm here to encourage you that it's okay not to be perfect. And also that it is a very worthwhile if you're a highly motivated person and you want to keep achieving your goals, you need to sit down and be intentional about how you spend your time.
2: Thank you for listening to the roto Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dave and at C PatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?